Please join me in prayer to God as we seek to listen to his word. Let us pray. Eternal God, through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, your kingdom has broken into our troubled world. Help us now to hear your word and give us grace to respond in faithful obedience. Amen. Our Psalter reading this morning comes from Psalm 68, verses 1 through 10 and verses 32 through 35. Listen to God's word for us. Let God rise up. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before fire, let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be joyful. Let them exult before God. Let them be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. His name is the Lord. Be exultant before him. Father of orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God gives the desolate a home to live in. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain at the presence of God, the God of Sinai, at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Rain and abundance, O God, you showered abroad. You restored your heritage when it languished. Your flock found dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. O rider in the heavens, the ancient heavens, listen. He sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Today's New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. So when they had come together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, 
Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey away. When they'd entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. The word of the Lord. Lord, is this the time? How many of us have gazed up at the heavens in either frustration or confusion and asked that question? Lord, is this the time you're going to fix my relationship? Is this the time you're going to help me get that job? Is this the time when you will return things to some sense of normal Lord, is this the time you will answer my question, solve my problem, and help me win my battle? It's been over a month since Jesus was raised from the dead, and the disciples are growing anxious as they wait for Jesus to do what he said he was going to do, or at least what they want him to do, restore the kingdom, the power to Israel. They want a timeline. They want specifics. They want some sense of closure. That's what they want. It's not what they get. If you visit the Chapel of the Ascension on the Mount of Olives in Israel, you will see a footprint-like depression in a rock. Locals claim that this depression is the exact spot where Christ departed from the earth as if he sprang up into the heavens with such force that the ground under his feet was compressed in the very act. Like Iron Man or Thor, Jesus the Avenger. you got to love it. No wonder, then, that the disciples were stargazing up into heaven, waiting and watching to see what would happen next. But as they stand there with their mouths open and their eyes fixed on the sky, two men in white robes appear. And just as these two guys did at the women, with the women at the tomb, they remind the disciples that Jesus, uh, he's not here anymore. Men of Galilee, why do you stand up looking toward heaven? They ask. Jesus will return in the same way you saw him leave. Basically saying there's no need to stand here. When he comes back, guys, you're going to know it. And so they go back. They go back to Jerusalem, back to their friends, back to a life of prayer, back to more waiting, waiting for what's next. A decade or so ago, a group of people from a church in Oakland, California, gathered outside Harold Camping's church one Saturday evening, the night that the world was supposed to end. But this group had not gathered to protest 
Harold Camping's outlandish claims about the end of the world or his willingness to profit off people's fear and anxieties. No, these Christians simply wanted to be there to comfort the disheartened members of Harold Camping's church when the world did not end as he predicted and they were forced to bring their gaze back down to earth. These men and women waited outside Harold's church so they could help his distraught disciples see that God, that Christ was waiting for them on the ground. So I'm wondering, what are you waiting for God to do? We're all waiting for something, for some change to be realized, for some clarity to come, for some resolution to present itself. The disciples, they're waiting for Jesus to restore Israel. They want him to put things back the way they should be, the way they ought to be with them on the top. And this desire is perfectly understandable. We all love certainty and finality. We all love to know the when and the where. We all have a clear sense of what we want God to do for us and for those we love. But but as he does often throughout his ministry, Jesus is much more interested in giving us concrete actions than he is a timeline of events. Our desire for certainty is nearly always met with a call to specific action. A few years ago, in a survey asking Americans about Christianity's contributions to our society, respondents in the survey cited many more negatives than positive contributions. Interestingly, though, less than 1% of those surveyed complained that Christians were too aggressive in sharing their faith. Less than 1% of those people surveyed felt that Christians witnessed too much. Now, their indictment was that churches cared too much about internal issues and not enough for those who were the most vulnerable in society. Instead of being worried about poverty and the environment and racism, pick your issue, they perceive churches to be more worried about the color of their carpet or the minutia of their theology or the specific words on their latest mission statement. Translation, most people think Christians' heads are up in the clouds. I have a colleague who likes to make the case that the ascension, the story we heard today, is the last miracle initiated entirely by God. Every miracle since, she argues, finds its origins not in God, but in us. Ever since Jesus went up to sit at God's right hand, the Spirit has been busy doing heavenly things right here on earth, through us, Christ's body on earth which means the miracles we seek, the answers we crave, and the resolutions we long for no longer come down from above. They rise up from down below. In today's story, the disciples were asking Jesus a very personal question with some nationalistic overtones. When is God going to restore and elevate our people, our tribe, our nation? When is God going to do what we want God to do? And it's clear this is not a question 
Jesus is interested in answering because he's got a much bigger plan in mind than simply restoring what was lost. He has a plan that involves the whole world, all of creation. And so, instead of answering their question, he focuses on what these disciples can do, not for themselves or their people, but for God's people, all God's people. He's leaving them, true, but in time they will receive a gift of sorts, the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, they will be empowered to be the bearers of the good news to people in places they could not imagine were included in God's circle of care. Just as we heard last week in the passage from Acts, our primary task, it seems, again, as followers of Christ, is to simply witness to what God and Christ are doing to the ends of the earth. So what does that look like in real time? What's it look like to bring our heads from out of the clouds down onto earth? What does it look like to witness here and now? Well, it doesn't look like pretending we have all the answers. Newsflash, we don't. It also doesn't look like preserving our way of life, our way of understanding above and beyond everything else. To be Christ's witnesses, we have to take our head out of the clouds. And we have to see the world as it is. Not as we want it to be. And this is not always easy. It can be painful and unpleasant and uncomfortable. But this work, this witnessing work, is the work we are empowered to do by God's very Spirit. Which means, I think, we are witnesses when we see the city we call our home as both a place of immense beauty and potential and a place full of inequality and injustice. We are witnesses when we are willing to see beyond party affiliation, to call out hypocrisy, even when it comes from our side of the aisle. We are witnesses when we allow ourselves to see this toll, the toll this pandemic has taken on our nursing homes. And what that tells us about how we care for and love the elderly among us. We are witnesses when we name the ongoing tragedy of racism that continues to claim the lives of too many young people like Ahmaud Arbery, and that as we've learned has put people of color squarely in the crosshairs of COVID-19. Just as it was for the disciples long ago, the answer to what's next, what's now, is always be God's witnesses. A few years ago, I officiated a funeral where the deceased received military honors. What made this service unique was that it took place in our sanctuary. Normally, military honors happen at the graveside, but this family had requested it to happen in the sanctuary. At the end of the service, as I watched the flag being folded and unfolded and handed to the family, as I watched that happening in this space, where I could imagine all the faces of the people who I had known and loved in that church. Some were still present, some had gone. But I could see them in the sanctuary as this service took place. As I watched it happen, I thought about how many women and how many men had died for the freedom the flag symbolizes, not only on the battlefield of war, but also in the streets of our cities. And I realized in that moment, in a way that I simply hadn't before, 
that all sacrifices, all sacrifices must be honored. And the way that we honor them is to live in the real world, where we are called to trust and to work and to love and to fight for the things that matter to God, the things we, as Christ's followers, are witnesses to, God's love and mercy and justice and peace. We honor the sacrifice by bringing our head out of the clouds. I know it's tempting in times of anxiety and fear to gaze up into heaven and to wait for God to do something amazing to restore what was broken, to redeem what was lost, to realign that which was put off course. In this uncertain time, we may want God to restore our fortunes or bring us back to what we had before, but into that desire for certainty and familiarity, Jesus gives us something so much better, an opportunity to participate in God's good work of salvation. We don't have to wait for God to perform some miracle or for Christ to return on clouds descending. We are the miracle God the world is waiting for. We are God's embodiment, Christ's body, here on earth. Author Kate Braestrup's young children were playing in the backyard one day when her adult cousin George used gasoline to ignite a pile of brush. Clearly, it was not a good choice. The gasoline quickly exploded into a fireball that badly burned all three of Kate's young children. In a panic, Kate got all of them into the car, George included, and started driving to the hospital while calling 911 on her cell phone. Kate writes that George was cursing and crying because his burns hurt, And because he knew the fire that had injured her children was his fault. He was the adult who had decided to use gasoline to start a fire. And it was his hand that had struck the match. Are they breathing? The dispatcher said. And I held up the cell phone. George beside me in the passenger seat said, yes. Oh my God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Zach, one of Kate's kids, was sitting behind George in the back seat. In the middle of his own loud litany of pain, Zach leaned forward and reached out and put his burned hand on George's shoulder. It's all right, George, he said. It's all right. We love you. Braestrup ends her recounting of the story with these words. When you are in love, you are in heaven, no matter where you are. Until Christ returns the same way he departed, we are Christ's body here on earth. And as his body, we are called to continue his good work of looking into every situation and declaring with boldness what is possible with God. Because I believe what the world needs more right now than a return to normal is more and more people willing to testify, to witness, to the power and the presence of God's love. Mother Teresa once told a room full of lepers how much God loved them and how much of a gift they were to the rest of us. Interrupting her, an old leper raised his hand. Could you repeat that again, he said. It did me some good. So would you mind saying it one more time? Men and women of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Look down to earth so you can see all that God is doing in and through you 
Christ's body here on earth. Look down so you can witness to the power and the presence of God's life-changing, world-altering love. Amen.